Welcome to the Treasure Coast Community Church Podcast. TC3 Church is located in Stewart, Florida, and we're thankful that your listening journey has brought you to us. Our prayer is that everyone who tunes in connects the life-changing power of Jesus Christ in a real way. You will also discover, if you dig a little deeper, that TC3 is full of imperfect people who are simply striving daily to be more like Christ than they were the day before. The journey for us is about progress, not perfection. We pray that as you listen, you will be filled with hope, endurance, and joy as you experience life change. Enjoy today's message. Good to be with you this morning, TC3. Hopefully you're feeling filled up, feeling good. I hope you take advantage of the worship and the music that we have here because Really, the, the musical part of our, our service is giving worship to God, which then fills up our spirit, which then helps us face Monday, and Monday's coming, and so we need that. And so we're talking about uh, um, the, the things that tear us apart in this series, and, and this week's gonna be a really fun one. We're talking about regrets. So anybody excited about looking at regrets? fill you up to talk about regrets. Now, when you think about regrets, uh, and I promise this, this is gonna be helpful. When you think about regrets, um, it's the I could haves. It's the Uncle Rico's. It's the, the missed potential uh, of a moment uh, or maximizing uh, you know, who we are and what we can do. It's the I should have. It's, a, it's an opportunity that got away. I, I should have invested in Bitcoin when it was like you know, $10. Um, it's the wish I would ofs, and it's the I wish I wouldn't haves, and those are the ones that bite us the most. And they can be big; regrets can be big, or they can be they can be small. And so, you know, small regret would be in the category of like when I when I went on our last cruise, um, chocolate lava cakes were flowing. And so, obviously, you can get as much as you want. And so, every night of the cruise, I decided I didn't want just one. I would take two. And so, I took two chocolate lava cakes, two scoops of ice cream, and washed it down with a hot chocolate. And at the end, it meant that I gained 10 pounds. So, that's, that's a little, a little regret. We have those little regrets in our life where we make these kind of little mistakes. And we can move forward from those. And then we have those bigger regrets in our lives that you know, can paralyze us, or actually we can use them to propel us into who God's called us to be. And many of us, we have regrets in our lives that have paralyzed us. I remember um, talking with this father who, um, I was taking him to rehab, and he'd been in his basement, and he was a binge drinker. He was a great dad, great guy, but all of a sudden he would just go off the radar, and then you would find him somewhere, and he would go on a, bin, a drinking binge, and he was in his basement for about three days. He smelled like alcohol, body odor, and he was just in terrible shape. His eyes were bloodshot. I still remember all the dynamics associated with taking him to rehab. And I remember him looking at me. His eyes are all bloodshot, and he's just haggard and worn out. And he looked at me, and he said, I need, he grabbed hold of me, he said, I need you to save my son. His son was a teenager, and I looked at him and I said, you getting control over this is what will help save your son. 
and we're gonna go down the steps of recovery to help make that happen. It was as if in that moment he had disregarded the rest of his life because of where, he's, where he'd been and he'd lost all, kind, all hope of ever moving it forward again. And that's the power of regret. It can rob us of the future that God has for us. It can rob us of the best version of who God has called us to be and it can paralyze us. But yet when we dig into regrets, it can be so, so painful. Wouldn't you like to have a pain-free life? Like how many of you would love to have a pain-free life, okay? Here's the thing that I find to be interesting. When it comes to this issue of pain, it can actually be a good thing. Dr. Uh, Dr. Paul Brand was born a missionary's kid, and they worked in, he worked in India with his parents, especially with lepers. And he would later become a doctor, and he would use that, that skill to continue to work with lepers. As he worked with them, up to that point, most people thought that this was just a, a skin disease. It was a, an issue of the skin, of the flesh. And what he actually discovered through his research and through working with lepers is it was actually a disease that had to do with the nervous system as well. And leprosy would shut down the nervous system of the lepers, and what would happen is it would make them susceptible to injury, and so they would injure themselves. And so as pain was taken away from their lives, it actually caused them more injury because their fingers and their toes, and they, they would cut themselves. They wouldn't even realize that it was happening. And the absence of pain became the greatest enemy of the leper. Pain is this gift that nobody wants. And what I would also say is regret is also a gift that nobody wants, but it sure is helpful. And I've got some good news and I've got some bad news for you. The the, the bad news first, the bad news is this. What has been done, it can't be undone. The good news is that it can be redeemed. So what has been done can't be undone, but the good news is, is that it can be redeemed. And Paul, in the Bible, he talks about this from personal experience. He talks about regret in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse number 10. He said, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. Godly sorrow, regret, leads us to salvation and leaves, I love this line, leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow keeps the cycle continuing and it leads to death. So godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. Beth Moore had this great statement where she said, Every storm that comes into your life has the ability to blow you to the place where you need to go, where God needs you to go, where you need to be. And what I would say to kind of add to that in regards to this topic is that every regret that's in our life can be one that God uses us to take us to a place where he needs us to go. Godly sorrow, it leads to repentance. Repentance is that 180 degree change. That's what repentance means. It means you were heading one direction, you repented, now you're heading completely the other direction, so godly sorrow leads to repentance. And then on the trail, repentance then leads us to salvation. We get in touch with the grace and the mercy of God, the forgiveness of God. I was raised in a church that was pretty law-oriented, pretty New Testament-oriented. You stepped off the map, you, you were uh, disrespectful to your parents, you got hit by the, 
by the city bus, you went to hell. I, that was kind of, like when I was like 10 years old, I was like, if I get hit by a bus, I'm in trouble. But what I learned as I started reading the Gospels and especially the, the epistles that Paul writes is that, that God is so incredibly gracious and loving and kind and that he's good and that he is forgiving. And I remember talking to a friend of mine and he said, the church that I previously went to, they taught me how um, to love God. And the church that I now go to tells me how much God loves me. They teach me about how much God loves me. And I think there's that transition and that switch that needs to take place in every believer's life so we understand the goodness and the mercy of God because repentance, it leads us to salvation. And then salvation, it eliminates regret. Like all that stuff that happened is in the rear view mirror. So in Romans chapter seven, Paul's talking about, man, the things that I wanna do, I don't find myself doing, and the things that I should, uh, shouldn't be doing, I find myself doing, and who's gonna rescue me from this body of sin and death? And then he's like, thanks be to the Lord Jesus Christ who rescues me from this body of sin and death. And then it transitions into chapter eight, which a lot of people are stuck in chapter seven, they're stuck in despair of regret. Chapter eight starts out. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It means that once you've tapped into the saving grace of God, all that stuff is rear view mirror. And God has this expansive life for us to live and this incredible identity to embrace. And godly regret, it leaves no room for regret. God removes regret, he replaces it with grace. Godly regret, it's a good thing because it's designed to be a transitional state. Some of us, we've stayed in the state of regret for way too long. Matter of fact, we don't jump into the life of the church because we're afraid that people are gonna figure out who we were back then. And if they figure out who we were back then, then you know we're in trouble. Or we stay in this spot to where we don't rise up and be the father that God has called us to be because we've made so many mistakes and our kids have seen that. Or we're not the, the mom that God has called us to be because again, we've made so many mistakes and our kids have seen that or the, the person that God has called us to be out in the world because our friends have seen us make mistakes. Listen, your mistakes, your pain, that's your platform. That's the thing that God will use to help keep others out of trouble and will help others know that God is so redeeming and so good and so kind because if he could do it in your life, he can do it in theirs as well. Godly regret's a transitional state. If you've been in regret for longer than it takes for you to get on your knees and repent and repent with others, then you've been in the state of regret for way too long. It's a transitional state. It leads us to repentance and repentance leads us to the grace of God. And when God's grace is truly experienced, regret is no longer, hear me, when the grace of God is experienced, Regret's no longer needed. The ability to feel regret, it leads us to this place that we need to get to called change. And as pain is a gift to the body because it tells us there's something wrong, regret is a gift to the soul because it tells us there's something wrong. God gave us the ability to feel pain for our own protection and our own well-being. God gave us the gift of regret for our own protection and our own well-being. Do you know people, do you know, do you know what we call people who don't experience the pain of regret? Psychopaths. 
Like, now you can go, see, he's talking to you. It's like, it's you he's talking. I'm so glad I brought you today. This is so good for you. Regret's designed to serve a purpose. It's not just there to beat you down. It's designed to serve a purpose. It's an emotional guardrail. It's a feeling intended to lead us to a place of course correction. It's a temporary emotion designed to teach a lifelong lesson. Once you touch a hot stove, you don't touch a hot stove anymore. Regret's the same way. Once you step across a line or you experience that emotion and the pain of it and the carnage of it, it's designed to propel you into the place where you're supposed to be. And God doesn't want you and I to live paralyzed in the land of regret any longer. But again, you know, we defend our regret, don't we? Our regret can be so painful when we think about the version of who we are in the worst moments of life that we don't know how to appropriately deal with it. We, we don't know how to move it forward. And there, there are these common responses when it comes to this issue of regret. And one is we free ourselves on one extreme, and the other extreme is that we choose to, to punish ourselves. On one extreme, we try to free ourselves. We run from our regrets. We don't dwell on them. We don't deal with them. We try to disregard them, we try to minimize them, we tell ourselves it was no big deal, we rationalize our regrets, we're like, hey, it was the 60s, everybody was doing it. If you survived the 60s, like, you deserve a medal. Like, you guys ushered in all this carnage. <laughs> and we think oftentimes, compared to everybody else, I'm not so bad. We lower our standards and we try to let ourselves off the hook, but yet when we look in the mirror, we know. We know exactly who we are and we try to reassign our regrets. We excuse ourselves and we accuse other people and we play the game, blame game and we rise above as judge and jury and we pin the blame on somebody else or on something else. It's not my fault, the circumstances set me up. If they wouldn't have, then I wouldn't have. We free ourselves. Or, on the other side of unhealthy regret is we punish ourselves. We, we dwell on our regrets to the point of it ruining our life and our relationships and the future that God has for us. We deserve the punishment we believe because of the crime that we committed, but we can't ever figure out how to punish ourselves severely enough to where we can then walk in freedom. And so we continue to beat ourselves up with, without mercy. We beat ourselves up. Rick Warren, I love what he said when it comes to this issue of regret. He said, we try to pay for our guilt unconsciously through illness, depression, setting ourselves up for failure, and other forms of self-punishment. And then he goes further and he said, the problem with beating yourself up is that your conscience never knows when to stop. And that's so true if you've ever wrestled with deep-seated regret. Your conscience never knows when to stop, and some people spend their entire lives in self-condemnation. Don't let the enemy do that to your life. Don't, don't let your family be robbed of 
of who God has called you to be. Don't let your friends be robbed of who God has called you to be because you're dwelling in this cycle of self-condemnation. So how do we deal with regret? Now, again, remember, whatever's been done can't be undone, but it can be redeemed. And one of the greatest characters, I think, in the Bible who's an example of this is the Apostle Paul. He writes two-thirds of the, the New Testament, and he's writing to young Timothy. And when he's writing, he's writing from this jail cell. And a few cells down, there is this room where they take prisoners to be beheaded. He knows that his life is on the line. He knows that his life is on the line because he's been preaching the, the good news of Jesus, which is the gospel of Jesus. He's been preaching about Jesus wherever he gets the opportunity. So now it's landed him in jail. He knows his life is on the line. He knows his head's gonna roll soon. His head is literally on the chopping block. And then he says these words that are so profound. He's like, the time of my departure is near. And that word departure is an interesting word because it means it's time for me to pull up anchor. It's time for me to unyoke the oxen. It's time to pull up the tent pegs. And he's like, it's time for me to set sail for heaven. It's time for me to quit plowing here on earth. And it's time for me to pack up the tent and move on into eternity. And he said these words, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race and I've kept the faith. And then he goes on and he says, now in store for me, there is this crown of righteousness. So how can Paul talk to Timothy, young Timothy, from a perspective of no regrets? How can he how can he speak these words like this, knowing the life of Paul? Because when you get into the life of Paul, from a human standpoint, he's got so much to regret. In Acts chapter seven, you see Paul and he's standing there in this scene. He's holding the coats of the people who were stoning the first martyr of the church, Stephen. They're throwing rocks and he's holding on to their garments and he's giving his approval. Then you go further in Acts chapter eight, it talks about how Paul is wreaking havoc on the church, that he's going into houses. Now, get this in your mind. He goes into a house that's full of, it's, it's a family of believers. They, they love the way, which they called it in the New Testament, the way of, of Jesus, and he would go into this house, found out that these, these, this mom and dad, they're followers of Jesus Christ, he would pull the mom out of the house. He'd pull the dad out of the house. The kids are screaming. He would take the mom and dad and he'd have them thrown in jail and they'd be put to death. That's the Apostle Paul's life before Christ. Bent on destruction. It says in Acts chapter nine that before he had the Damascus Road experience, while he's on the Damascus, Damascus Road, he's breathing out murderous threats towards the disciples. In Acts chapter 22, he said, I persecuted the followers of the way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them in a prison, into prison. So from a human standpoint, he's got a lot to regret. Like, like lives literally met their, their fate as a result of Paul's life prior to Jesus. And then he's also prideful. You go into Philippians chapter three, he talks about himself and his foolish pride. He said, 
I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew among Hebrews. I was at the top of the heap when it comes to those that God loved. Regarding keeping the law, I was a Pharisee. Like I followed the rules of the law. I was zealous in persecuting the church, he said. Regarding righteousness by keeping the law, and this is how he describes himself. I was faultless. Paul's full of pride, and because of his pride, he was also ruthless before God got a hold of him. But Paul's regret is evident when he talks to King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. He says, I, I too was convinced that I, that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus, and that's just what I did, he said. And so he's having this personal conversation. He said, I put many of the Lord's people in prison, and they were put to death. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from synagogue to synagogue or church setting to church setting to have them punished. I tried to force them to blaspheme the name of Jesus. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I hunted them down in the cities that they lived in. How can such a violent, murderous, prideful, guilty man with such a mean streak inside of him, with such a checkered past, face the executioner and write to Timothy from a position of having no regrets. It's because God is more concerned about where we're going than where we've been. God is more concerned about where you're going than where you've been. He'll take where you've been and use it as a platform. We have so many people in this church that use where they've been as a platform, and it's making a difference. You unashamedly talk about who you were before Christ. You talk about who you were as a person. You talk about the demons and addictions that you wrestled with. You talk about the pain and the hurt that you, that you had to process through. And because of that, people receive hope, and they receive the mercy of God, and they believe that they can do it because God was able to do a work inside of your heart and your life. God's more concerned about where you're heading than where you've been. And Paul's able to look back, and this is what he says. You're stuck in a cycle of regret. He said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength. You see, I can't do it. Paul said, Christ Jesus our Lord gave me the strength and that he considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service. Paul was this murderous character, violent man in Scripture, and then all of a sudden now, he's looking back on his life and he's like, I'm trusted by God. Like I'm appointed by God to do this work. And that's what God does. He takes us where we are, but loves us too much to leave us where we are. Remember, whatever's been done can't be undone, but it can be redeemed. Paul goes on to say, even though so many of us, when it comes to our regrets, we like to defend them, don't we? We're like, well, Gordon, I, Paul's like, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he said, I was shown mercy. In my own life, I can look back in phases of my life that I'm embarrassed to talk about, but I was shown mercy. In those phases in your life where you're embarrassed to think about who you were and what you were doing and what you were allowing to be done to you, 
God wants to show you mercy. God wants to take that pain and use it as a platform. Paul said, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And the mercy that God showed to Paul is available to every single one of us. Every single one of us. And so the question is, is will we receive it? We crucify ourselves between two thieves a lot of times. And the two thieves are the regrets of the past and the fear of what tomorrow looks like. And we beat ourselves up and we keep ourselves crucified on this cross. And God wants to do a work in our lives and he wants to do a work with our lives. If Paul can move forward, think about his story. If he can move forward without regrets, so can you and I. If Paul can become one of the greatest evangelists in the New Testament to be used by God the way that he was used, so can you and I. How can Paul face the executioner and write to Timothy with such hope? He said these words in Philippians chapter three. He said, not that I have already obtained all of this or I've already arrived at my goal. So Paul is older. He knows that the time of his departure is near. He's still striving. He said, but I press on to take hold of what Jesus Christ took hold of for me. Those words, I press on, ought to be in the vocabulary of every single believer. Quitting is not an option for you if you call yourself a believer of Christ. Being quiet is not an option for you. To you, for us to remain in shame and guilt of the past is not an option. That's why God used such flawed people in the Old Testament and the New Testament. All of them, their lives were erect. And if you look around, if you really knew the stories of the people that are in this crowd, people that are out on the lawn, people watching online, if you knew the stories, listen, guy on the stage, the person in the back row, all of our lives were dumpster fires or are dumpster fires, right? But God's loving mercy has been expressed to us and his grace has been poured out on us and he's taken us from where we were to where he's called us to be and he's doing an effective work inside of our hearts and our lives and we cannot allow the enemy to quiet and shut that down. Don't let the devil shut you down. Don't let him shut you up. We press on. Paul said, brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of this, but one thing I do. I forget what is behind and I strain towards what is ahead. It's athletics. The term is athletic, it's an athletic term. He, he forgets what's behind and he strains towards what's ahead. I press on, he said, towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And the goal is this, to know Jesus and to become more like him. That's the goal. Know Jesus, become more like him. So how do we respond to regret? We recognize it. If there are some things that you have done wrong, recognize that. Learn from that. Own those things. Don't discard them, don't avoid them, don't minimize them, don't distance yourself from the regrets of the past. Own them. And then release them. You release them by confessing sin and regret quickly. 
If you want to know how, because some of us were stuck in the verbiage, like we don't even know how to say we're sorry to God. Go to Psalm chapter 51. David has just failed miserably with Bathsheba, and he writes this incredible prayer of repentance. Go to Psalm 51 and write your name in there. Go to Psalm 51. Confess your sin and your failure to, failure to God quickly. Confess your sin and failures to other people quickly. The reason why many of us are stuck is because we refuse to confess our sins to God and others, and we're hanging on to it. Some of us, from a practical standpoint, we need to set up a meeting. We need to sit across the table from somebody, and we need to own our failures. Some of us, we need to make a phone call. Some of us, we need to send a, a voice text because a text isn't gonna cut it. Some of us, we need to write a letter. And then we need to trust God and walk in forgiveness. The person forgiving us, that's between them and God. But us asking for it, that's between us and God. And we let God redeem our regrets. How'd Paul push on, push forward, recognize what he'd done, owned up to it, he repented and released it to God, and then he allowed God to redeem that person and those regrets. Some of us are still trapped in our regrets because we don't have God to help us out of it. Like Paul talked about how Jesus helped him break that cycle of regret. And because we're stuck in our regrets, our relationship with God is suffering, and our relationships with people is suffering as well. And God offers his kids, and you and I are one of them, hope and freedom. But we need God to strengthen us. I think about Isaiah's call often because it really resonates with kind of my call to ministry. Isaiah wanted to answer the call of God on his life because the people and the culture desperately needed God at that time. And he looked at his own life when he saw the holiness of God and he was like, God is holy and I am incredibly not holy. And he looked at the people and he went, God is holy and they are not holy as well. But yet he felt God's calling on his life, felt God calling him to be a prophet. And God says to him and God says to the nation of Israel and God says to us today in Isaiah Chapter one, verse number 18, he said, come, let us settle this matter. God is like, listen, it's time for you to move forward. It's time for the nation to move forward. He said, though your sins be like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Whatever has been done can't be undone, but it can be redeemed. Because God talks to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 43. It's this incredible picture of sin and consequence. Like we make our mistakes. We sin against God and other people. And we go through this period of consequence, but God takes us through this period of consequence. And then there's always deliverance. If you look at the Old Testament and the children of Israel, there's always a deliverance thread. And God said to them, after you've gone through that, and God says to us, he said, do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to the things of old. Look, I'm about to do something new. In your life, God is about to do something new. Even now it is coming. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert 
you've been in a dry land and a drought for way too long, emotionally and spiritually, I will make a way. But it starts with, come now, let us, let's settle this matter. What God is calling us to do today is allow him to redeem our regrets. And so here's how we're gonna wrap this thing up. Some of us, we've been carrying regrets for way too long and we want God to redeem those regrets and we wanna release those regrets to God this morning. I wanna pray for those of us that are in that category. You'd say, hey, I've got some regrets in my life. I wanna hand them over to God and I want him to redeem them. Is there anybody in that section that says, Gordon, pray for me? And that's, that describes me. Okay, hands going up. This section, I've got some regrets. I want God to redeem the regrets. Good. This section, good. Hands going up here. This section, okay? Hands going up here, good. Regrets, I want God to redeem the regrets. This section, good, good. Excellent. Some of us are like, yes, because that's how it is. It really is. And then some of us, like we don't have a relationship with God and we look around in this place and we're like, man, I wish I had what they had. To get a relationship with God, it means that you, you surrender yourself to the will of God. You approach God as not a mistaker, but a sinner. I have sinned and grieved you. You are holy, I'm not. And because of what Jesus did, you go, listen, that sacrifice that was paid on the cross, that allows me the pathway to approach a holy God. I receive what Jesus did on the cross as being done for me. And so we receive personally what Jesus did for us. And that helps us get a relationship with God. We put him on the throne. We ask him to forgive us and we receive what Jesus did for us on the cross. And then we become, as the Bible talks about, a new creation in Christ. So our, our past is gone and our new springs forward. And so a lot of people have prayed this prayer with us today or today, and in the past as well, but your prayer is the important prayer that gets prayed. I just kind of help you get on the path. And so somebody, if there's anybody in this section, you say, hey, I need a relationship with Jesus. Would you help me establish a relationship with God? Um, would you lift up your hand over here and just say, hey, can you pray with me? I need a relationship with God. Anybody in that section? Hands going up back there. Good. This section here, anybody say, hey, I need to establish a relationship with God. Would you pray with me? Okay. Okay. This section here, I need to establish a relationship with God. Okay. This section here, I need to establish a relationship with God. Hands in the back. Good. Right here. This section, over here. Okay, right here, good. This section, anybody? Okay, let's pray this prayer together. Dear Jesus, please come into my life and bring healing. I receive what you did on the cross as being done for me. God, would you forgive me of my sins and heal my life? I place you on the throne of my life from this day forward. Forgive my past and help me to walk into a new future. Today I am a new creation in Christ because of what Jesus did for me. I receive it, amen. Father, I wanna thank you for the seed of the gospel that was planted in people's life, that there are literally eternities that transitions when we give our lives to you. And so I pray that the seed of the gospel would grow in the side of the hearts and lives of everybody that prayed that prayer. I pray that you would become the most important thing in their life. And I pray that you would 
you would allow them to be able to receive your word in the text of scripture and that you, dear Lord, would speak to them along the path when they're in their house, in their car, or at work, that you would become very, very real to them and you would whisper in their ear, this is the way to go now, walk in it. And they would know you as a father and as a friend and as their leader. And they would know that the past is gone and there's a new future that they walk in because of what Jesus did. Father, I pray that you'd guard and guide the the people that have submitted their lives to you today. Heaven celebrates and we do here as well in this church. We also ask, dear Lord, that you would be with those of us that have lifted up our hands in just honesty and said, hey, there are some regrets that I need to hand over to God today and I need God to redeem those regrets. I, I surrender myself to him. And I pray, Father, that the weight of those regrets would be lifted right now, that they would feel the weight being lifted from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet and they would know, dear Lord, that that you are able to carry that burden and those cares and you told us to cast our cares on you because you care about us. And so Father, I pray that they would walk in newfound freedom today and I pray that when the enemy whispers in their ear about their past, they start to remember how you're a redeeming, loving, good, kind God. And if you could do a work in the Apostles Paul, Apostle Paul's life, you certainly can do a work with their life. And so Father, we receive that newfound freedom. In your name we pray, amen. Now listen, we've had people come to Christ this morning, which is always awesome. Welcome to the family of faith. Here's your, here's your next step. I want you to make sure that before you leave, you head to the info booth, let them know. They'll give you an info pack about what to do next and how to continue on the path of following Jesus. And for the rest of us that lifted up our hands to release those regrets, let's walk in newfound freedom today. Thank you for listening. We understand that life is a journey and that the journey has many stages. No matter what stage you're in, TC3 is a place where you can plug in and be poured into. So if you're looking for community, we would love to connect with you. Start by hitting the subscribe button, then click the connect link in today's episode. This is your opportunity to join in on what God is doing at TC3. We are confident that he's just getting started with us and with you. We look forward to sharing more of the path with you.